It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, Can Jesus' Resurrection Revive My Faltering Faith? Coming up in this episode, have you ever failed in your Christianity, done something that was just inexcusable? How do you face, cope with, and resolve such a defeat? The Apostle Peter failed just like that when he denied Jesus and yet he was forgiven and became stronger. How can Peter's debacle help us to victory? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome everyone, I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host for over 20 years. Thankful to be here. Jonathan, what's our theme scripture for today's episode? Mark 16, verses 6 and 7. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He's not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. When thinking about world-altering events, there is one that stands alone as the single most powerful world-changing event in the history of humanity. It is the raising of Jesus from the dead. When this event occurred so many centuries ago, the vast majority of the world had no idea of its significance. And today, 2,000 years later, most still don't have a clue. Well... Jesus' resurrection sealed the future hope of every man, woman, and child who ever lived by guaranteeing them their own resurrection. Even more than this, Jesus' resurrection also changed individual lives back then as it still does today. After the Apostle Peter abandoned Jesus in his greatest hour of trial, Peter needed the renewing power of Jesus' resurrection. We, too, can falter as Peter did. How can we claim that same renewing power? Sinful humanity is frail. We can have the best of intentions, but get tripped up when it comes to putting those intentions into practice. There is no better New Testament example of this than the Apostle Peter. Peter was ferociously loyal apostle who spoke what was on his mind and seemed to always be the first to act. The other 11 followed his lead. So to help us key in on our own frailty, let's focus on some of Peter's worst moments. We're going to be looking at Peter's three denials of Jesus the night before his crucifixion. So Jonathan, we're going to go to a combination of Luke 18 and Luke 20, uh, I'm sorry, John 18 and Luke 22 to just walk through those uh, denials. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the court and had sat down together, Peter sat in the midst of them. And a certain maid, seeing him as he sat in the light of the fire and looking steadfastly upon him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. So Peter flatly denied that he knew Jesus. Let's continue. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, You are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. So again, Peter denies being a part of Jesus' life. And let's continue. And after the space of about one hour, 
one of the slaves of the high priest confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. So a third time Peter denies Jesus. And here's what happens next. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how that he had said unto him, Before the cock crew this day, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Man, how does someone so faithful and dedicated fall into such devastating failure? And you're right, Jonathan, it was, it was a devastating failure on Peter's part. And you look at that and say, how can that happen? Well, folks, the whole point of our talking about this today in the context of Jesus' resurrection is to ask another question as well. And that is, are we individually, here and now, liable to falling into such a devastating failure pattern just like Peter did? If so, how? So these are the questions. How did it happen to Peter, and how can it happen to us? To answer these questions, we're going to also not just focus on the wrong and the difficulty and the failure of Peter's life, but we're also going to focus on the Apostle Peter's leadership much later in his life as a mature Christian, as written in the, in the first epistle of Peter. So Jonathan, let's just jump ahead, because we want to give the, the, the glorious ending of this really hard story as a, as a basis to, to work through the difficult part. First Peter 4, 12-14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you were sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So Peter is being the truly mature apostle Peter as he's saying, look, trials are happening, fiery ordeals. He's putting things in perspective. This is what he grew into, but he wasn't always there. Jonathan, three, three big points about this. Well, trials are expected experiences. Rejoicing in them can only come in proportion to our sharing Jesus's sufferings. And to be reviled for the name of Christ is to be blessed. So there's a, there's a rejoicing aspect, there's an expectation aspect, and there's a blessing aspect. We've got it. Peter is saying, these are the things that you need to know and understand. How did he know to tell us? Because he learned it. Now, look, this verse is really encouraging, but it doesn't tell us how to avoid the pitfalls of our own hearts and minds leading us into patterns of failure. So we need to, to go down that road. Here's the thing. Jesus knew Peter would deny him. He could have done one of two things with that knowledge. First, he could have said, well, Peter's going to fail, so I'm just going to let him fail, and he's going to have to figure it out. Wait, no, wait, Rick. <laughs> Jesus would never do that. You're, you're right. I'm trying to be rhetorical here. You're right. He wouldn't. So instead, Jesus could have said, and this is paraphrasing actually Jesus' mindset, we believe. Jesus said, I know Peter will fail. I will teach him everything I can to give him the foresight to know what's coming, and I will also give him the tools to handle the rebuilding of his faith after it has been shattered. Jesus was planting seeds for Peter. Absolutely. And as he planted seeds for Peter, he planted seeds for us. 
A review of the events of the evening before Jesus' crucifixion reveal how Jesus was continually positioning Peter to approach his coming experiences with humility. Jesus knew what was to come and did everything he could to prepare Peter. And that's, folks, that's, that's something, Jonathan, what you just said is such an important point. Jesus did everything he could to prepare Peter for this really hard experience. So the lessons Jesus presented to Peter before his fall are very relevant to our own individual experiences before we may be heading for a fall. So the preparation that was put into Peter can be the preparation that's put into us because you know what? We're sinful and we fail. So Jonathan, we've got several lessons. What's the first one? Personal humility needs to be based on more than our own understanding. Okay, this is an important basis, an important foundation. Personal humility needs to be based on more than my own understanding. What do we mean by that? Well, Jesus explained this to us. We're going to drop in on John 13, verses 3 to 10, where Jesus uh, is washing the disciples' feet. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So Jesus is quietly, humbly doing the job of the very lowest servant. Nobody asked him. He saw the need, and he went, and he performed the need. No questions, just serving. Here's what happens. We'll pick up with verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. So Peter challenges what Jesus is doing. Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus alludes to the fact that it would be after his resurrection that the understanding of this experience would become relevant. He's saying to him, you're not going to understand now, but you will. Well, there was no time after this that night. It would have been after his resurrection. So he's saying, future lesson here, stay tuned. Here's Peter's response. Well, Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. So Peter again challenges and, and, and Jesus responds. And Peter being Peter, when he finally realizes that I've got to go through this, he jumps in with both feet. And yes, pun intended, yes. (laughs) Because he wanted this to be where he would be. He was he he was expressing that 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 great closeness to Jesus. So Jonathan, there are four basic points we want to pull from this washing of the feet episode. Well, Jesus washing their feet was a surprising development. Second, Peter met this washing with a sincere reaction. He did not understand what Jesus why Jesus did this. And third, Jesus gave him a gentle correction. And lastly, Peter had a humble response. So there's a back and forth. Jesus drew Peter along and Peter followed and complied. And that's a, a great, great situation to be in. And this is where the basis of humility comes into play. 
humility as this foundation that we're talking about. So as we look at these experiences, these teachings of Jesus before Peter would fail, we're going to put them in order in three different perspectives. First, we're going to look at the general lesson. Secondly, we're going to uh, look at Peter's own immature faith. And then thirdly, we're going to look at what about my own immature faith? How does that fit into what Peter was learning? So Jonathan, the first part from faltering faith to faithful follower, how do we sum up the washing of the feet and the humility? Sometimes we are humble, but that humility only reaches as far as our own understanding. We need to trust more fully. We need to trust more fully. Faith builds trust. We need to trust in that faith and that takes humility to do that. Now, let's look at Peter's responsiveness to this need to trust more fully. fully. Regarding Peter's immature faith, Jonathan, what is it? Peter was humble before Jesus, but only after he challenged him. Jesus was gentle in his response as he demonstrated to Peter how profoundly important and cared for Peter was by Jesus. So you have the, 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 the sensitivity of Jesus drawing Peter out of being impetuous and saying, Peter, this is something I must do for you. And Peter Peter was drawn along by that. So his immature faith needed to be developed, and Jesus was doing that. Now, the third point is regarding my own potential immature faith. Humility requires listening and applying. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, does my humility step outside of my own thinking and embrace true trust in God's providences. Is my humility in such a place to be able to look at God's providences and say, I can trust that? The lessons with Peter remind me of my favorite verses in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that I'm going to break up into four parts throughout the podcast. The first part is trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, you know, Jonathan, the interesting thing is, as we brought our notes together, you brought that from your end, and I brought some other things from this end, and the two just happened, just happened to, by God's providence and overruling, meet exactly in the middle. Trust is a basis for us in our humility. It has to be trusting. And so that's the basis of those Proverbs scripture. We're going to continue as we go. So now we pause on these lessons from the, the feet washing and the humility and the need for trust. And we're going to jump ahead to later, the later life of the Apostle Peter, later the, the, the Apostle, the Elder, and a foundation pillar of the church. Here's what he writes in 1 Peter 5, 6-8. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The idea of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God and casting our care upon him is an act of trust. And that has to happen from a perspective of being humble. This is what Jesus was teaching Peter at the very beginning to prepare him for massive failure that was coming not too many hours later. So Jesus taught Peter what the foundation of Christianity would look like Am I paying attention to this lesson? With humility as a broad-based lesson in place, what else would Jesus teach Peter to prepare him for his failure? It's so important to see the reality of our circumstances. Jesus' pointed teachings on this night before he was crucified were not just meant for the 11 apostles, 
they were meant for us as well. It is appropriate to put ourselves in Peter's place as his weaknesses, his weaknesses can be our weaknesses. Rick, our second lesson, loyalty to our God and Lord must be based on more than the words of an emotionally based decision. Okay, so now we're focusing on loyalty. We had humility and now it's loyalty. And again, this is Jesus customizing these lessons for Peter. Our loyalty has to be based on more than words of an emotionally based decision. So we're going to look at the, the, the Last Supper and where Jesus actually predicts Peter's denial. And we're going to go to Matthew 26, verses 31 to 35. Then Jesus said unto them, All ye shall be offended in me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. So there, that's an amazing announcement. Uh, you're all going to be offended. You're going to run away. Uh, and But I'm going to be raised up, and I'm going to go before you into Galilee. There's a whole lot in those few sentences that Jesus speaks here. But he makes a point, and guess who jumps all over the point? Go ahead, Jonathan. But Peter answered and said unto him, If all shall be offended in thee, I will never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. So Peter jumps up and says, wait a minute, I don't care who is, is, is put off by you and, 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 and runs away, I'm not running. I'm going to stand with you. And Jesus' response is, well, good that you brought that up, I'm paraphrasing, because you are going to actually deny me three different times. Now, of course, Peter has a response. Peter saith unto him, Even if I must die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples. So Peter is again being Peter. Now he's sure of his faith because he's sure of Jesus. And the problem here is he's too sure of himself. So Jonathan, four basic points we want to just wrap up this, this, this reading with and then come to the lessons. Jesus gave them a solemn warning about their scattering. Peter met it with a sincere and firm reply. Jesus gave Peter a very pointed warning, and Peter did not listen to Jesus. He stood firm in his perspective. Well, Rick, Peter influenced the other 10 apostles, and they all said, we will not abandon you. Yeah, you know, and that's an important point because it's, an, a, point of, it's a point of influence. And when we have influence, we had better be careful with what we do with that influence. And when, when, when Peter did influence them, they all jumped onto this bandwagon. And so they're all showing, outwardly showing, this loyalty. However, we know how the story goes. So there's a problem. There are, there are cracks in this foundation of loyalty that they, they are proclaiming. Now, Jesus knows, and he's teaching. And it's interesting that when Jesus told him, you know, you're going to deny, deny me three times— Peter argues with our Lord. He says, no, I'm not. Nope, nope, not going to happen. And it's interesting. In that first lesson with the washing of the feet, it's, Lord, wash all of me then. Now it's, oh, no, no, you don't have this one right. And you, you see that there's a direction, Jesus knows it's there, that needs to be dealt with. So we're going to look at these lessons, again, from three different perspectives. First, the general picture, the general lesson here from faltering faith to faithful follower. What do we have? 
Sometimes we are quick to take a loyal stand with our emotional-based words, when instead our loyalty should be spurned on to action by godly response. See, emotion-based words versus a godly response is a big difference between the two. They can sound the same, but they don't end up the same. So now here, regarding Peter's own immature faith, what's our, what's our observation? Peter was serious in his proclamation to stand by Jesus because he had never experienced a circumstance where Jesus was not in control. He had no reference point for how he would respond. So, Jonathan, it's an interesting thing. He's got no reference point for how he would respond. He's never been in a situation where Jesus just didn't take over. And Jesus is intimating that this is going to happen. So, you know, he's, he's standing pretty firm because he kind of has this, this, this track record, but he's also got way too much pride in himself. So now, regarding my own immature faith in terms of this lesson of arguing back with the Lord, essentially, in regard to loyalty, words of loyalty are easy, especially when we're with others who would speak them. Is my loyalty nourished through words or through courage, courageous faith? And Jonathan, this is a lesson about dealing with our peers. Because when you're in a group, it's a really easy to say a lot of things and to be very positive and, yeah, let's get them. Yeah, are you in? I'm in. You're in. Great. Let's go. Yeah, you have that, and it's really easy to spur that on. But what is the core loyalty going to produce? This was a hard lesson that Peter had to learn, and we could fall and, and need to learn that lesson as well. Our second part of the Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 lesson is do not lean on your own understanding. And, you know, our own understanding gets passed around our peer group, doesn't it? You know, it we, we all get in into that same boat together and we're all all a lockstep, but it may not be where, where the providence of God is going to lead us. So we need to be standing up above wherever possible. So we've got that lesson, that very important lesson of not arguing and making sure our loyalty is not just word-based. Later, much later in Peter's life, he's the apostle, he's the elder, he's a foundation pillar of the church, and this is what he writes in 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So Peter exhorts us, keep your behavior excellent. You know, words are important, but your behavior, you have to have the loyalty in your behavior. So that puts us, that puts this lesson of loyalty in place. And our third lesson is being watchful must be based on more than our physical capacity. And you say, wait, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, Stay with us for this, because this is very, very sensitive. Remember, this is Jesus working with Peter before he falls. This is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14, 32, uh, selected verses 32 to about 38. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So Jesus takes all of the disciples, and he sets most of them into one place and says, I'm going further into the garden. Sit here. Stay here. Wait for me. Continue. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. So 
Jesus is, is saying something very, very, very serious here. And you think, what would be going through Peter's mind at this point? Well, Jesus asked for support for a deeply serious experience. And, you know, that's an unusual thing for, for Jesus because he, he's in control all the time. So you see this, and he's taking these three aside. So this is a very special responsibility here. Let, let's continue with the reading. And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it was possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So Jesus is pouring his heart out to his Father, and he's coming to grips with the issues in front of him. So he's putting it in place, and now he's going to come back for his followers. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the same one that not too long ago said, I will never deny you, and yet he falls asleep. Well, there's two important points from this verse. Peter's response is filled with fleshly weakness. And second, Jesus calls him out and warns him about what is coming. He's saying there's bigger trouble coming. You need to stay with me. So Jesus is feeding him and feeding him and feeding him everything he needs. And he's feeding us as well. So the three perspectives on dealing with this experience between Jesus and Peter from faltering faith to faithful follower, Jonathan, what's the general lesson here? Well, sometimes we're called upon to be watchers to benefit and encourage others. From a human perspective, watching can be boring. Our watching and encouraging must be done with a godly purpose and motivation. Okay, it's like, okay, watch the paint dry. I mean, that, 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 that's how it can feel sometimes. But the watching has to be bigger than that. That's the lesson here. It's a bigger thing than just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. It is being focused in on whatever the experience is. And regarding Peter's immature faith, Jonathan, what can we see here? Peter and the others were simply too tired to watch. Yet, when had Jesus ever asked them for support? When had Jesus ever been so disturbed? Something else I thought of, uh, Rick, in Luke twenty-two thirty-two, Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail him. If he hadn't, would Peter have gone through this trial successfully? Yeah, you know, it, this was a, a, a life-changing trial, and perhaps that prayer of Jesus, and he let Peter know ahead of time, that could have been the thing that, that carried him through along with all of this teaching. So we see him, and Jesus needs him, and Peter falls down on the job. So regarding my immature faith, because Jesus doesn't need me the way he needed Peter, look, it's hard to be watchful, especially in a world that offers so much stimulation. So the question is, do I get easily sidetracked from godly watching by watching and engaging in this world, or do I watch and pray instead? And Jonathan, this kind of trial has to do with our preferences, the kinds of things that we are focused on, that, that, that come to us naturally, that we want to focus and, and, and be a part of. You know, where is my watching? Is it drawn to the things that are entertaining, or is it drawn to the things that are spiritually helping me develop? Those are the kinds of questions we have to ask ourselves. Later, Peter, the apostle, the elder, and a foundation pillar of the church— writes because he has grown through all of this in 1 Peter 3, 
13 to 15. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Well, being zealous and always being ready are the keys to watchfulness. And if we don't take those keys and apply them, we're feeling like we're watching paint dry and it's not going to bring us anywhere. Now for our fourth lesson. Being a protector of godly things must be based on more than reactionary emotions. Okay, you know where we're going here. Reactionary emotions in terms of being protective. Well, this is when Jesus is arrested a little bit later that same night. Luke 22, verses 47 to 53. While he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Can you imagine the rage Peter must have had towards Judas? I know, I know. Peter, it's just this was such a, an un- incomprehensible thing. The, the shock of your former friend and confidant showing up with armed forces to take Jesus away. It's, it's like beyond. So what happens in the scriptures? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? So they, they ask. Lord, what should we do? We've got swords. Should we use them? Then what happens? Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Simon Peter didn't wait for Jesus' answer. He just acted. Peter further responds in his fleshly weakness, this time with aggression. So he's a protector, but he's being aggressive, and he stepped outside of what Jesus was teaching. What is Jesus' response? So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? And he touched his ear and healed him. So Jesus very plainly and firmly stops the violence, heals, and puts things back where they belong. Peter leaps into action only to be told to stand down and have his aggression reversed by healing. Jesus responds to him with a firm rebuke and warning. And that's the point. He needed to be rebuked and he needed to be warned. Stand down. This is not the way we, it is going to go. So again, we look at this very powerful lesson. And again, Jesus having to correct Peter and there, from, from three perspectives. First, the general lesson from faltering faith to faithful followers. What, what's our lesson here? Well, sometimes our instincts to be protective are driven by self-protection or just raw emotion. True protectiveness in Christ is a mature conviction driven by spiritual restraint and response. There is a big difference between just jumping out and doing something and doing something in accordance with the will of God. Anger, righteous indignation is appropriate but Peter didn't have it. He just had emotional rage. So regarding Peter's immature faith? Peter was fierce in his protection of Jesus, but his fierceness was out of line with God's purposes. Peter had been taught, but he hadn't yet learned. And that is key. He had been taught, but he just hadn't learned. So when I look at my own immature faith, 
where is the fierceness of my protectiveness focused? Am I easily provoked to protect fleshly things and desires, or do I stand to protect godly principles? And Jonathan, here is where our hearts come into play. The heart wants what the heart wants. Do I stand protective of what the heart wants, or do I stand protective of the will of God in my life? And those two things are often very different. Peter did learn, and we look later on in his life where he is the apostle, an elder, and a foundation pillar of the church, and he writes in 1 Peter 1, 13-16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He who is holy does not react emotionally, does not protect out of rage or emotion uh, or, or reaction. He, he, he responds to whatever is needed in a godly fashion. These are big lessons that Jesus was teaching Peter. And it's remarkable to see how attentive Jesus was to Peter. Even more remarkable is how attentive Jesus is to us. The time for warning and teaching has ended. Jesus is now the willing prisoner of the high priest. Now what? Well, the long and tortuous night of trial began with a betrayal. And now we continue with Peter's denials. And we mentioned them at the beginning of this, uh, this episode. Peter's humility. Remember, we began with humility. Peter's humility would be found lacking as he would trade his discipleship in for self-preservation. Jesus was brought before Annas, the high priest. Peter and John followed Jesus there. So as they're approaching, John was able to go into the courtyard with Jesus, and eventually Peter was able to join them. So we're picking up now with the denials in John 18, uh, verses 13 to 27, also Luke 24, 54 to 65. We're throughout this segment going to combine those two accounts to try to get all the details in. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the court and had sat down together, Peter sat in the midst of them. And a certain maid, seeing him as he sat in the light of the fire and looking steadfastly upon him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied, saying, Woman, I know him not. Well, Rick, Peter wanted to be close to Jesus. He wanted to know what was happening. He did. And, and he worked his way in, and he found a place where he could see. So he was there observing, but then he denies. And this first denial, Jonathan, each denial is different. And, and it's kind of a building process. This first denial was a response to an abrupt and unexpected challenge from a lowly servant woman. Peter drew near to the fire to warm the night's chill away, and his denial broadly denied that he even knew Jesus. The woman looks at him, she points at him, and says, he was with him. And he says, I don't even know who he is. I don't know him. I mean, there is a tremendous lie in this denial. And it's a very broad-based, I don't know who you're talking about kind of a thing. Well, Peter was loyal, and yet that loyalty was proven to be shallow and based on his own perspective. Very, very much so. It was based on his own perspective, and his loyalty was really, really being challenged here. Now look, sometimes we are taken by surprise as we seek comfort in a hard time, just like Peter well, was that, doing. 
Well, Rick, that's when rationalization sets in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. And, and that's an important factor is we rationalize when we get taken by surprise in difficulty because like, okay, you got to scramble. And that's what Peter had to do. Not justifying it, that, but that's what happens. In these times, it can be too easy to just go with the flow. And what happens is we end up being swept away. We too can be shallow in our loyalty. We say we will stand for Jesus until it gets difficult. Then we end up standing to protect ourselves. So where am I when it comes to these things? Look, we can only imagine the fear and confusion in Peter's mind at this point. Not too many hours ago, Jesus had washed his feet and Peter had begged to be washed completely to be able to be closer to the Lord. Soon after that, Peter had cut off a man's ear in the heat of the moment to defend his Lord, and now he had just denied that he even knew Jesus. I mean, you look at this and say, wait, wait, I can imagine him saying, what is happening here? It gets deeper. Let's continue with the scriptures. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Another denial. The first denial was that broad denying that he knew Jesus. This second denial was a response to more than one accusation from several observers. It says they asked him, and it wasn't a surprise. It had happened before, it could happen again. Peter is now standing, still drawn to the warmth of the fire, remember before he was sitting, perhaps because he was close enough to hear what was happening with Jesus, and perhaps because he maybe felt hidden in the crowd. You know, when you're standing, you can kind of shift around and move, and and if you think somebody's looking at you, you kind of duck behind somebody else. Who knows? You know, but he's still there. He still wants to be there. But this second denial specifically denied that he was a disciple of Jesus. This is a serious, serious denial. Well, Peter's watchfulness was only focused on himself. The change from sitting to standing may indicate Peter was uncomfortable in his previous specific location. He changed only to have the likely source of this discomfort follow him. That source was his own lack of courage and faith. And, you know, how, how often does that happen in our own lives? You know, you, you, you try to change the circumstances that you're in so you can do better, but the problem is that you follow yourself because you're your own worst enemy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was that way with Peter. It's that way with us. Sometimes we find ourselves in a pattern that encourages sin. When the discomfort of our sin is placed before us, well, we move away from that confrontation and try to find a, another place that's a little bit comfortable, but still we're, we've brought our worst enemy with us because we're not facing things. It was a watchfulness issue, and Peter was not watching the right kinds of things here. Unfortunately, our movement is often not away from our sin, and when that sin is more forcibly presented, we deny it with greater force as well. We do that. We do that as human beings, and so did Peter. Let's continue the scriptures. And after the space of about one hour, one of the slaves of the high priest confidently affirmed, saying, of a truth, this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew. Just think, an hour goes by, plenty of time to think about what was happening and try to find your center again. Don't be afraid. Stand up for Jesus. He's innocent. Yeah, you know, that hour, I mean, it's so significant that the scriptures tell us this hour went by because he had time. And folks, so do we. In our circumstances, so do we. We look at Peter and say, how could you do that? Actually look in the mirror and say, how could I do that? 
because we follow this pattern. This third denial was not a response to a question, but a denial of a confident testimony of truth by someone who had seen Peter with Jesus. So this is not a question about, hey, are you? It was, I know who you are. And he says, of a truth I'm telling you. This is powerful. Peter's third denial had him standing firm in a lie that blatantly contradicted someone else's truthful testimony. Jonathan, it just got deeper and more serious, and he was stuck in this hole. This is a massive failure. Peter protected his own lies and did not stand up for his Lord. This denial was a blatant abandoning of all that Peter had previously said and stood for. Years of faith, learning and witnessing the amazing works of Jesus, and this is where Peter had landed. And you know, you get the sense of how desperate the situation is. And just when you think it's about as desperate as it can be, it goes a step further. What happens next? And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how that he said unto him, Before the cock crow this day, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Man. Then the moment came when the world stopped turning. Jesus, your Lord, your Savior, and your friend, hears your denials and turns and looks at you, and he looks right through you. And just as he said, the cock crows, and suddenly all that you have left is failure and tears, bitter tears of pain and sorrow for your public cowardice. The hurt and the pain. The, the, the scriptures really help us understand how deep and how hard this would have been. You know, and, and, and for, for, for Peter, some, sometimes we also have the same rude awakening to sin in our lives. We realize that we've sinned before God and our Lord, and the devastation we have caused us, caused be, uh, that, that we've caused, I'm sorry, the devastation that we've caused becomes blatantly evident. You can't hide from it. It's just there in front of you, and you have no place to go. Well, remember, Jesus knew Peter would deny him, and he prepared him anyway. Well, why? So when Peter was ready to again stand for his Lord, he would have that much more strength of learning behind his new stand. And I'm glad you brought that up, because it helps us understand Jesus knew this ahead of time and poured teaching into Peter specifically. So here's what happens. Peter is devastated. And of course he's devastated. He should be devastated. He's devastated. And he left. He left the scene. And it goes, it says he goes, he went out and he wept bitterly. And as he left, the night of greatest trial in Jesus' life begins. Now he was betrayed earlier and he's just been denied, but it gets worse now because here's what the scriptures say happens when Peter leaves. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and beat him and they blindfolded him and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is he that struck thee? And many other things spake they against him, reviling him. The, 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 the horrible treatment of such an innocent man is just hard to even begin to comprehend. And the sadness here is that Peter walked away. He wasn't there as a support. He walked away because he couldn't handle his own failure. This is a deep failure, and folks, we can have that same kind of failure. Remember, we can, and the good news is Jesus knows. So from faltering faith to faithful follower, Jonathan, the general lesson, what is it? Well, sometimes we're just focused on the wrong things. 
We need the harsh awakening to our sins, and then we need the guidance to stand against our sins. So basically what you're saying is sometimes the hard awakening, awakening is the exact moment that can save us from these things, and the Lord provides those things for us. That's why Jesus looked at him. That's why he looked at him. So now, regarding Peter's own immature faith, what do we have from this experience? Well, Peter was sincere. He loved Jesus, but he was weak. Peter needed to know how to grow through that weakness. Jesus had laid Peter's learning foundation, and soon Jesus would teach him. So the foundation was there. Jesus put it in place, and he was just would patiently wait till the time where Peter could actually learn the lessons. Now, regarding my own potentially immature faith, if I have done something like this, am I comfortable in my compromises and weaknesses, and am I willing to look at myself and see how Jesus has shown me my weaknesses so I can go through them. Which is it? And Jonathan, this is a this is a pride issue. This is that personal pride, that personal ego issue. Am I going to be willing to be humble enough and to be loyal enough and to be watchful enough so that I can put things in order, or am I going to just let it ride? Am I going to be protecting God's will or my own heart? That's really where we have to go here. So later, later in Peter's life, the Apostle Peter the elder Peter, the foundation pillar, or one of the foundation pillars of the church, Peter, writes in 1 Peter 1, 3-7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter talks about being protected. This was about Peter's protectiveness going astray. And later on in his life, he looks at, at things and says, you are protected by God through faith. Use that protection to help you do what you need to do. Let's continue with verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when well, go, go ahead, going, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, going back to our Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, our third part is, in all your ways acknowledge him. And see, when you acknowledge him in all your ways, and this is what Peter is doing in writing in First Peter, he's telling us, I've been there. I know what it's like to have a trial that tries you with fire. I know that. I lived it. And I'm trying to show you the lessons that you also can learn from my mistakes. So you see the great maturity that Peter had to be able to teach us because he had the experience. And that's the silver lining to this very dark cloud of these denials here. So as hard as it looks, as it is to look at Peter's denials, it's also encouraging to see his experiences as learning tools for us. For Peter, it must have seemed like his life was worthless. How would Jesus lift him up with such failure? The timing of these events in Peter's life was extraordinary. He last sees Jesus when he denies being his follower, and then Jesus is crucified. Peter is left completely empty. The recurring thoughts running through his mind were likely of his denials and the resulting look in Jesus' eye, that look in his eyes when he saw he had denied him. 
As bad as all of this was, it was all about to change. There's always hope when Jesus is involved. <laughs> this is a great way to look at it. And, and folks, really, take that and take heart in that, because you may be going through a time of great trial where you feel like, how can, how can the Lord work with me after my attitude or, 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 or what I've done or what I've, what I've thought about or what I've contributed to, whatever it is? There's always hope when Jesus is involved, if we're humble enough to be able to be working forward. So let's look now at this transitional piece that changes everything, and it is the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So there's a lot here. We're not taking the time to go into it in this particular podcast, but they're going to do something that they believe they should be doing out of honor and respect. And they're like, well, we can't even get into the tomb. The stone's too big. But alas, this, this stone has already been moved. What's happening here? It's a miracle. That's all there is to it. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. So they go in there, and now you have an angel talking to you and explaining what's happened and why the tomb is empty. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, there you will see him just as he told you. Well, there are two interesting points from these verses. First, the angel specifically referred to Peter by name. Hmm. That had to be encouraging to him after he recently denied Jesus. And the second important point is that the angel told them to go to Galilee to see Jesus. Remember, in Matthew 26, 32, Jesus told them, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you in Galilee. You know, and those two points are so, so important. And you wonder if after Jesus was raised, was resurrected from the dead, if he spoke to the angel and said, here's the message. I, you just can't help but wonder if that's what happened. But Peter is front and center in the message. Tell the disciples and Peter. I mean, that's a, such a, a powerful, powerful lesson for us. Well, Peter did not know how to follow the master since he had denied him. Right, because you have these days go by, and you, 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 the last thing you knew is you denied him, and he's dead. Now what? Well, here's what happens here. The risen Lord Jesus, and this is where the resurrection comes into play. It's the risen Lord Jesus that writes this ship. The risen Lord Jesus would resummon Peter's humility. Remember, that's what we started with, was humility. He'd resummon Peter's humility only now on a level where Peter would see his need to trust, remember, humility needed trust, his need to trust in Jesus for every step. So you see, Peter went back fishing. After the risen Lord Jesus had helped the apostles catch a boatload of fish, he waited on shore, Jesus having prepared them breakfast. He was waiting for his beloved followers to come to him. They came to the shore, and they had fellowship together. And we open up the account in John 21, verses 15 through 17. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That word for love is agape, which means selfless love. He said to him, 
Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That word for love is filial love, and that's to be a friend or fond of. He said to him, tend, meaning feed or pasture, my lambs. Well, Jesus is saying to Peter, feed my lambs or the young ones, the new followers of Christ. They have specific needs. So you have this big question. Do you agape? Do you selflessly love me? Peter is really honest. He says, Lord, I, lo- I, I love you. I, you're, you're my friend. You're someone, you're someone that, that I, I, I want to walk through life alongside of. But he didn't admit to that, that other higher love because he didn't know how yet. And Jesus' response was, take care of my little ones. Pasture, feed them. So what's happening here is the risen Lord Jesus is resummoning. Remember, he resummoned uh, his humility. Now he's resummoning Peter's loyalty only now on a level of a loyalty that is spurred on to action. Action, feed my lambs by a, by a godly response. Jesus knew Peter's heart, and he knew that his hurtful denials would serve as a stepping stone forward. Jesus knew that of him. He also knows that can be in our lives. Is my job, my career, my hobbies, my interests, the things which fill my time, are they getting in the way? Peter went back fishing because that's all he knew. Jesus is calling him from fishing and saying, there's something bigger. I want you to feed my little ones. Take care of them because they're so important. And you're the man for the job right here. Later, later when Peter is so much more mature, the apostle, the elder, and a foundation pillar of the church writes in the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. This, it's, Jonathan, these verses are so inspiring because you can see he's drawing off of his personal experiences. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness." For by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Well, Peter is teaching with great maturity after learning from all the mistakes he made. He is, and he talks about you were continually straying like sheep. So why do you think he said that? Because he knew what it was like to be that sheep gone astray. He knew, and he also knew Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. So he is drawing on that experience and teaching the flock how to stand firmly. You have been called for this purpose. There's something important that you need to stand for. So that's the first Jesus reclaiming, resummoning him. He's working on his loyalty, and his whole basis is that of humility. Well, Jesus continues to reclaim Peter by asking another question. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I filio love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. Now Jesus is showing Peter that he needs to guide the strong and able sheep who had been followers of Christ for quite some time. So he's, he's, he talked to him about feeding the little lambs. And now he's saying, look, there, there are those who are strong and are able. He doesn't say feed them. He says to shepherd them. Shepherding is the bigger picture. He's saying, Peter, there's nobody that's outside of the reach of your responsibility. Do you love me? 
because this is what you will do to prove your love. And Peter's still not there. Lord, you know that I filio, that I'm fond of you, but he still can't get to that, that selflessness yet. So what's happening here? Well, the risen Lord Jesus is resummoning Peter's watchfulness, only now on a level of watching over others with godly purpose and motivation. He's saying... Now, now, Rick, for, for instance, where are the sheep? How are they doing? Are they fed? Are they safe? Hmm. Are they in the right pasture? Right. So all of those questions are the practical shepherd questions, and Peter has to interpret those questions in the realm of spiritual care and guidance. This is hard, but Jesus gives Peter the job because he knows he's capable. Jesus was handing Peter a major responsibility and would not have given it to someone who could not carry the weight. And Jonathan, in our own experiences, this has to do with our minds. Because you know what? Our mind brings us down all kinds of thinking roads. Well, what are those that are appropriate? And what are those that are not? And did I learn from the mistakes like Peter did? Jesus is challenging him. He's drawing him. He's forgiving him so he can stand and do the really hard work. And later in life, that mature leader, Peter the Apostle, the Elder, and one of the foundation pillars of the church writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, Therefore I exhort the elders, these are the shepherds among you, as you follow elder and, and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving them to be examples to the flock. Well, Rick, there's three important points here. One, do it voluntarily. Two, with no sordid gain, not paid. And three, not lording over the congregation. Right. He's saying, get your hearts right, get your minds right, put things in perspective. So we've got the Lord Jesus resummoning his watchfulness on a higher spiritual level here with this question. One more question, one more resummoning. Jesus continues reclaiming Peter uh, with the next, his next question. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you filio love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I filio love you. Jesus said to him, tend, meaning feed or pasture, my sheep. Now, these are the older, mature sheep, the ones with specific spiritual and physical needs. And so the interesting thing is that the older ones still need feeding. The older ones still need tending. They all, no matter who they are, they're still sheep. And sheep always need care. And that's what Jesus is teaching Peter. Care for all of them, whether they're young, right in the middle and robust, or older, they need care and they need you. Meet them where they are. Jesus needed Peter to wisely deliver on all levels of love and all levels of action. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, our last point, he will direct thy paths. And you see how Jesus is directing Peter's path. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Jesus here said, do you filio love me? And what? And this, this question was, are, yes, okay, you're fond of me. Yes, you can identify with me here. Then do the things that show that brotherly love. And interestingly, later, the Apostle Peter, the mature leader, the elder, and one of the foundation pillars of the church, writes in 1 Peter 1.22, 
Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, this is Philadelphia, which means a fraternal affection, fervently agape love one another from the heart. So Peter, as an older, mature Christian, masters both of those kinds of love and says, you do this. I learned how. You can too. So when we look at this lesson and the things that we can learn from Jesus reclaiming Peter with these three questions, from faltering faith to faithful follower, what do we have? To be called to follow Jesus is to be called to a life that will reveal strengths and weaknesses. Our job is to use our strengths for God's glory and embrace our weaknesses so we can mature through them to God's glory as well. So whether it's a strength or a weakness is not material. It, what's material is what do we do with it with the providence of God working with us. Regarding Peter's own immature faith and the lessons he learned, what do we have? Peter was humble, loyal, watchful, and protective when Jesus invited him to be a follower. Jesus used the exposing of Peter's weaknesses and immaturity in those good things to help Peter develop into a foundational pillar of the entire called-out body of Christ. So Peter had those characteristics, but they were way, way too, too childish. He used the failures to help him grow up. And regarding my own immature faith, do I want Jesus to accept me as I am, or do I want him to use whatever strengths and weaknesses I have to build me into a truly faithful disciple? Come as you are. Just don't stay that way. Exactly. Exactly. So folks, as we look at these lessons and we wrap this all up, it's important for us to realize that what we have to, to understand is Peter had to learn. He had to learn through the experience of deep, heartfelt, gut-wrenching failure. But Jesus allowed that to happen. He taught him everything he could possibly do. He warned him as much as he possibly could, and Peter still failed. The good news is Jesus knew the failure would come and taught him anyway. Why? Because that gave him the foundation to build on later when he was ready. It's the same with our lives. We have the ability to build on the foundation. Jesus has already put the things in place for us. What do I do with those things? What do I do with that basis of humility, loyalty, watchful, and being watchful and protective? Am I doing it for his case or for my own? It's all about letting the resurrected Lord Jesus bring us to maturity. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback. Send us your questions this episode or other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcast, rate us and review us. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Next week, am I being punished or favored? big difference between the two. Talk to you then.